0: gospel. According to the good Dr. Luke, chapter 8, 16 to 25, you'll notice the first portion of this passage really is an extension of what we preached last week. We left it off of last week because there was so much to cover. I mean, if we wanted to go verse by verse, we'd be in this book for really a half a dozen years. I mean, and you could take that long. And we, we try to, we, we exegete as we go through passages, but we kind of group them together and 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 not take too, too long to go through. So we left those two portions out from last week. We're just going to overview them this week, and then we're going to go into the primary message, which is the Savior and the storm. We're going to talk about the lamp and the family relationships, and you're going to see how that is an extension of the parable of the soils, parable of the sower, however you determine it. The subtitle today, Under the Savior and the Storm, is the story of our lives. That's the subtitle today. Luke 8, 16 to 25 it's also in Matthew 8 Mark 4 Here now the word of God No one lights a lamp and hides it in a jar or puts it under a bed instead he puts it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light for there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open Therefore consider carefully how you listen Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has will be taken from him. Now Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, Your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. He replied, My mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, Let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped, and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging water. The storm subsided, and all was calm. Where is your faith, he asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. May God add his rich blessing to his inspired and errant and fallible word. Pray with me. Father, it is no accident we're here this morning. Everyone by divine appointment in their assigned seats speak now through this broken vessel and speak only your word from this pulpit. It is only the power of the word of God applied by the spirit of God that conforms us to the image and likeness of the son of God and that is what we desire most. Make it a word of salvation for the unsaved whether here in this holy sanctuary or out on the internet. Give the gift of repentance and faith. Make this a word of comfort for those in storm winds. and Make it a word of Rest. For those who are tired, weary, and heavy laden. All things to all people that some might be saved. Come, now fount of every blessing. Unclutter our minds and unburden our hearts that we might see Jesus in him only. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said? The Savior and the storm. Three headings. Number one, their perception. Going to take a look at the perception of those who are in the middle of the storm with Jesus. Number two. His purpose always a purpose behind all of it, and then finally, number three, the promise. What was the promise that was made? We need to understand what that means so let 's take a look, but in a moment, first let 's tie in the sermon from last week last week 's sermon, the parable of the sower, the parable of the, the the soils, however you want to put that one together, the lamp comes out of it. the lamp is an extension of it, and so is the relationship with his family. Let's take a look. Let's be clear how this ties in. The good soil people hear and do. Remember, there's two kinds of hearers in the world, right? On two major categories. Those who hear with the head and those who hear with the heart. And then inside the heart, there's three levels. Those that have no root, those that have no room, and then those that actually produce fruit 30, 60, 100-fold. So we're in the level of the hundredfold. Those who are actually producing fruit. And then Jesus goes into this lamp. We know that Jesus is the light of the world. But here he goes into the lamp. And he talks about the lamp. That no one lights a lamp. You have been, you have been raised from death to life. The light of God has been put into you. So no one now lights a lamp and hides it. So God has lit you, and he doesn't hide you. So you have to know that you have been called by God to put the gospel on display. So here's how I want you to see this. Matthew 5, 16. Take a look at this. Let your light so shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. What do you think that means? Listen to this carefully. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the best Matthew could give us is so shine. You hear an echo, don't you? Of course you do. You hear an echo in John 3.16. What do we read in John 3.16? For God what? So loved. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, John could get no closer to identifying what it meant that God loved you other than the word so. God so loved you, now you are supposed to so Shine your light. That's it. It's about hearing and doing. Okay? Clear? I mean, we could make half a dozen sermons out of the lamp, but we just, we're just moving through it. So let your light so shine because God has so loved you. Right? It's, it flows out of being loved. And because of what you have already been given, now you respond by letting the light so shine. Okay, That's the lamp. Now we got to go to the family, the Lord's family. This is important. What's the Lord's family? What's this about? This could be a little strange if we're not careful. This could seem a little cultish if we're not careful. So let's take a look. The Lord's family. This is verses 19 to 21. Verse 21. Listen to what he says. They say to him, your, your mother, your brother, your brothers are here. Depends on which gospel accounts you read, their response to that. Blessed is the womb, the woman who, who bore you as a child, and he says, who, who, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? So here's what he says in verse 21. My mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. That sounds a little cold. It just does. So cults, one of the primary goals in a cult, this is one of their primary goals, is to cut you off from everything that you know. So they draw you in, and they cut you off. No contact with the outside world any longer. No contact. Is Jesus doing that? My brother, my brothers, those. Let's take a look from the cross. What does Jesus do on the cross? John 19. Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother cults not Christ repudiate the earthly family what is Jesus saying here's what he's saying it's a very simple statement and once I say it you'll never forget it don't love your family less love Jesus more that's all that's all don't let your love for your family rise above the love you have for Jesus that's what he's saying no one puts his hand to the plow let the dead bury the dead. What is he saying? Love all people, but love me more. In fact, the love that you have for me should almost make the love you have for others look like hate. So don't love anyone less. Love me that's the key in understanding the family relationships and the dynamics. That's what he's saying. He's not cutting us off. But families are cut off, aren't they? Aren't there divisions in families? Of course there are. Some who are in Christ and some who are not. So he says that. He says this will happen. But we still love. Love never changes. But the love that we have for God should be the highest love that we have. And it should be expressed in what we think and what we do and what we say, okay? That's those two passages, and it's all rooted in hearing. Those who hear and put into practice, that's my mother and that's my brothers, okay? Now let's go into our storm. And head out into deep water and let our nets down for a catch. What was their perception? Luke 8, 23 and 24. As they sailed, he fell asleep. Now I added a word here from Matthew's Gospel: a furious squall. Uh, Luke just has a squall, but we need to take it a little bit further and try to get an understanding of what's going on here. A furious squall came down. Now listen, this is this is this is biblical. Why does it come down? The sea of Galilee is about six hundred and eighty feet below sea level. The mountainous ranges that surround it go up about two thousand feet. So you've got twenty-eight hundred, three thousand feet. So we have this 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 squall that comes down, what comes down? The cold air from above comes down to the warm air above the water. And when you have those two intermingling, you have these storms. As these winds are whipping through the mountainous and hilly ranges, and they come on top of the water area, you have these furious storms that come up instantly. It can calm one moment, and 30 minutes later, you have this immense storm. And that has been proven. Throughout history, recorded history, has shown us this truth. Science has shown us this truth over the Sea of Galilee. You have that cold air coming down out of Mount Hermon. And you have all of this turbulence on the water that happens instantaneously. So what's their perception? And notice who they are. This is not the perception of of timid tourists. These are seasoned sailors. These are men who had been on that water time and time and time again. And what do they say? They were in great danger. The boat was, was being swamped. The disciples went and woke him saying, Master, we're going to drown. Well, some of it doesn't make any sense. And, and we have to put the pieces together. How is it possible Jesus, they're hanging on to the sides of the boat? And remember, if you read the other gospel accounts, there's other boats with them. So they're bobbing up and down in the, in the lake like little corks and the water is rushing over the boats and they're hanging on to the sides and, and they're ready to go down and he's laying on some kind of cushion this isn't the queen mary by the way no you'd think you know, you're on a cruise ship right you're on the queen mary you're in your bunk and you you don't feel much this is just a little boat maybe a couple dozen people can can be on it go across the lake he's laying on some kind of cushion like this <clears throat> It's almost hard to believe. These are seasoned sailors who said, we've never seen anything like this. We're going to die. It's the first time we have ever been in a storm. We're going to die. And he's sound asleep. So what's their perception? Number one, we have an unresponsive, uncaring, and unloving Savior. Sound asleep. Number two, they're in great danger. Not just danger, great danger. Great danger. And number three, they're going to drown. But then somebody, somebody on that boat, a couple of you know what they think? They hearken back to the Old Testament. They, 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 they listen in their minds to all of their years of study in the Old Testament, and they remember Psalm 65. God has control over the deep. God sends the winds, and he calms the waves. They think of Psalm 60, 68. They think of Psalm 89, Psalm 107. They know that God alone has control. So let me give you just one passage. Take a look at this. Psalm 89.9. You rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. Somewhere deep inside, they realize that this is beyond a human response. We've seen him do some things, and perhaps we think we're going to drown, but perhaps there's something he can do. We know that God is in control of all things, what have they seen him do? What, what, what ties into their perception? Take a look. The disciples knew that Jesus had the power over disease. Don't miss this. Wait till you get this at the end. Watch. He had the power over demons. He had the power over death. Pause for a moment. They saw him cure disease. They saw him make demons flee. They saw him raise the dead. He stopped the funeral procession. What's the difference between all of that and what's happening right now to the disciples? What's the difference? The disciples are now in the middle of the storm. They weren't the ones with the disease, the demons or the death. Now it's theirs. So guess what happens? What's the first thing you throw overboard when you're in the middle of a storm? Your theology. Oh yeah, you pitch those. That, right? Right? We know it. that's overboard. Why? We're dying. We're perishing. We know you have power over disease. We know you have power over demons and death. But do you Do you have power over the deep? They know something about the deep. What do they know? He has this supernatural sonar. Because a huge amount of fish swam into the net. So he's got something going on down there. But can you get us out of the mess? So notice the situation. They're in terror. But they still have a level of trust. They're in a situation that seems utterly hopeless, and yet they still have a mixture of hope because they wake him. They don't leave him asleep. So, what's their perception? This is the worst situation we have ever been in. Don't you care? Can you do something? You're our only hope. Got it? Okay. What's his purpose? Remember, you're in, you have to get in the story. You're in the boat. Who are you in the boat? <clears throat> you're not Jesus sleeping. You're hanging on to the side for fear that you're going to die. That's us. We're in the boat. He's asleep. We're fearful. So now you have to figure out what's his purpose. What's the purpose of Jesus in the storm? Let's take a look. As they sailed again, he fell asleep. It's unbelievable. He got up and he rebuked the wind and the raging waters, and the storm subsided, and all was calm. Sometimes we have to go to Scripture and notice what's not in it in order to get the deepest understanding of what it's teaching us notice what's not in it there's no prayer to god jesus didn't cry out to god what's there just the power of god this is god the old testament made it clear it was the prerogative of god who had control of what nature he has control over the natural world he controls the winds and the waves so they cried out to him, Jesus, help us. But you have to notice something in this passage. This is key. Now, skeptics will say, listen, we've been in lots of storms in our lives, and we've seen waves and waters, and we've, we've, we've been in lots of, lots of different disturbances. And that, the, that, those winds come up and those winds die down. You probably have been in a storm, winds come real fast, and, and they go. Right? You have that hurricane wind, and then all of a sudden it's gone. But let me tell you something that's not what happens to the water. Not until the last bit of energy runs out, those waves are going to keep rolling. The passage says the wind and the waves, stop. Instantly it was smooth as glass. Who does that? God. God. Those waves would have rolled all the way into shore and would have rolled their way back out. But he spoke. And it ceased. What did he speak? Mark says, peace. Shh still that's jesus Shh. and everything stopped well what do we see in this this is this is the key what do we in one passage right here what do we see jesus is what fully man how do we know he's fully man he fell asleep god doesn't sleep god's not asleep on the throne when your storm winds come Jesus was asleep in his manhood. He's so tired, he's sleeping in the middle of the storm. So he's fully man. But after he has awoken from his sleep, what is he then? He rebukes the wind and the waves. He's fully God. He's f- now listen, let me make something clear. Let me make something clear. He's not half man and half God. He, he's, remember the, 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 the character centaur? Brock was centaur in, in, in the, the Narnia play, in half horse, half man. No, 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 no. He's not half God and half man. He is fully God and he is fully man. T- take a look at this term. You, you need to see the term and, and then I'll give you the understanding. The means the God-man. Now, if any of you have a complete understanding of that, come see me after the service. Because I have never met anyone and I have never read any of the giants who had an understanding of what that actually... No, No one does. But we know it to be true and we call it Chalcedonian Christianity. Because in the Council of Chalcedon they came up with a formula that made the most sense. Here it is. The same perfect in divinity, perfect in humanity... The same truly God and truly man, but there isn't a single man who has ever fully understood it. The secret things belong to God. Only God could come up with a formula like this. And you know what? If you had a God that you could fully understand, newsflash, he wouldn't be God. Who do we think we are? Well, I don't understand that, and I'm not going to believe it until I do. You have any idea how messed up your mind is? No, do you? Even after you're saved, do you have any idea? Your mind is still, it's still broken. Your mind is still finite. It's still fallible. Even when we're right, we're wrong. Especially the way we deliver it when we're right. And people tell, I just don't understand. Good. You don't need to understand. God gives us all the understanding we need and the rest we receive by faith. That's all. Fully God- Fully man, sound asleep, praise be our God. Best I have for you. Now, the promise. I'm going to deal right now for just a moment with these superficial prosperity, gospel light, whatever you call those people who speak the word. There's a promise in this passage. And this promise is not yours. I'm going to show you what your promise is through this passage. But I want to be very specific on what this means and how easy it is to twist scripture and to convince the body of Christ that God has promised you something he has not promised you. And then when the storm winds blow and something really bad happens, your life gets tipped upside down and all of a sudden you just simply vanish. Where'd he go? I don't know. He's gone. I sit across the desk from people who are weeping with me and say, I was never told this. I had no idea. You know, most, listen to me, there are millions who have been converted to Christianity. Listen to me carefully. There are millions who have been converted to Christianity and not to Christ. What does that mean, pastor? They have made Christianity so attractive? Sign me up. And then the storms come. And we just read in the parable of the sower what happens. First hot day. There's no root. They're gone. 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 We have to understand the promise, and then we see how does the promise apply to us. Ready? Here we go. Ready? It's real simple. We have a guarantee of storms, no matter what happens. Listen to the promise. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. What did I just say to you earlier? Sometimes you have to come to Scripture and find out what it does not say. What did they forget? Okay, they're in the middle of the lake. They're in the middle of the worst storm they have ever seen in their entire lives. They have spent years on the water. They've never seen a storm like this. They're going to die. They're never going to make, they're they're dead. What did they forget? Notice what Jesus didn't say. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let's go halfway across the lake, get into a storm and drown. (laughs) Can't find that anywhere. Even in the Greek, can't find it. And I'm not a Greek scholar, but I went to Sam to ask him. It's no, not in the Greek. What did Jesus say? Let's go over to the other side. What did they forget? The promise. The promise was to go to the other side. There was no possibility of drowning in the middle. He could have stayed asleep. In essence, he said, Leave me alone. I'm tired. We're going to the other side. I've already promised you to go to the other side. They forgot the promise, and we forget the promise too. We forget that. Now, now, now. That's not your promise. How do we know? There are Christians who have been buried in waters all over this world. God's people who never got to the other side of the lake. You may be in a storm wind someday soon. You may not get to the other side. That's not your promise. You have other promises. I'm going to show you that. But understand this. They forgot the promise, and the message is that we forget our promises too. Okay? Ready? Stay with me. Generally, we think that storms are going to come when we're doing what? You have a bad day. You didn't do your devotions. You got fussy at somebody at the office. You had a little fight with your spouse. You're a little mean to your children. And then when it's raining and you get into the driveway and you hear a little thunder, you're afraid to get out because you're not sure if God's going to strike you because you had a bad day. You were, you were bad. We know storms come sometimes when we're disobedient. Who do we think of? Jonah. Stay with me. Ready? Jo- so Jonah. Jonah's in a storm. Why? In a boat that's ready to break because he was disobedient. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Go to Nineveh and preach. But Jonah ran away from God and headed for Tarshish. He's on the run from God. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and a violent storm arose and the ship threatened to break up. Why was, why was Jonah in a storm? He was disobedient. It seems to suggest there'd have been no storm. There'd have been no great fish. If he'd have gone on where he should have gone and gone to Nineveh and preached, there'd have been no storm. He was disobedient and the storm was sent, why? To chasten him. God had business to do with Jonah. Had work for him to do. So he said, okay, I'll take that disobedience and I'm going to send you into the furnace of affliction. Put you in the belly of the great fish. I'm going to get your mind right. So we can expect storms and disobedience. But what about the disciples? Their storm came in the middle of obedience. Jesus says, get into the boat and we'll go to the other side. And what happens? They're in the middle of a storm. So you can't always, always surmise in your heart and mind that it's disobedience that brings the storm. That's not true. Storms have been promised. Look at this. Obedience. Obedience. In your obedience, you are not protected from the storm. You understand that? You understand you're not protected from the storm? And in their obedience, they were promised to get to the other side of it. Got that? There's the passage. Now, what does that mean to us? Take a look at this. Jesus did not promise the disciples, nor did he promise it to you, smooth sailing. You have never been promised that. But you have been promised safe passage. What does that mean? It may not mean the other side of the lake, but it will mean what? The other side of the grave. What does Acts 14.22 tell us? Through many trials and tribulations, you must go through to enter into the kingdom of God. So what's the promise? It's not always the other side of the lake. Guess what? One day, you won't get across the lake. But you will get across the other side of the grave. You will get all the way into glory because you have been promised by grace through faith to get to the other side. That's the promise that you have been given. So now, how do we close this? Don't miss this. This is the key. See, you have to. Some promises are specific. Not everybody's going to. So, so listen. Somebody came. Somebody last night after service came and said, told me a story. They they, they were in a they were boat. They were going across to the Bahamas. And, and, and they saw on the radar, they got the, the report, there was a huge squall storm they were going to get ready to go into. And they weren't sure what decision to make. And he said, you know, if I'd have taken that promise literally, I would say, oh, man, Jesus promised to get us to the other side. No, 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 my brother. No, he did not. No, you may go right down to the bottom of, of, of the sea. That promise was for those disciples in that moment at that time. Your promise is the promise that you will get to the other side of the grave. So we have to understand that. We have to understand the difference between a universal promise and a particular one. So yours is the other side, right? So now, watch this. How do we close this? Luke 8.25. What does he say? Where is your faith? In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. D- don't, don't, don't leave this. In what? In fear. Th- this, is, this is terror. This is overwhelming fear. So now I'm going to go all apologetic on you uh, just for a moment. Ready? This is great. When you're speaking to the unbelieving skeptic, one of the greatest arguments from the skeptic The atheist is this, I understand why you're involved in religion, you're just ignorant. You don't have an understanding of the sciences like we do and you're just ignorant and you're fearful of things that go in the night. So you need to hold on to something so you can get to the other side of it. The father of of, of atheism, if you will, in this world, wrote why I'm not a Christian. Probably the brightest mind didn't understand this story. Because here's what Bertrand Russell writes. Don't miss this. Bertrand Russell writes these words. He's writing to you. Religion is based mainly upon fear. Partly the terror of the unknown. And partly the wish to feel that you have a kind of elder brother. Who will stand by you in all of your troubles. What did he miss in this story? They were more fearful of the Savior in the boat than they were of the storm outside of the boat. The storm was calm. And the fear gripped them by their throats. Who is this? Why? Why? For the very first time, for the very first time, personally now, they saw the difference between a holy God and a sinful man. And they knew their place. And they knew there was no way to bridge that gap, save Jesus Christ. We don't hang on to religion because we're afraid of things that go, But we, God is terrifying. He didn't understand the story He didn't understand who the true elder brother is that we cling to in our storms. Make no mistake. Everyone in Scripture who had an encounter with God was in fear and trembling. Everyone. How? Here, don't miss this. How do we know? This is an important point because so many people trying to protect God's reputation and let me let me tell you something. God doesn't need your help. He doesn't need you to protect his reputation and try to soften the blood. He doesn't need that. He's God. Ready? How do we know God sent the storm? Huh. How do we know from the passage? <laughs> his humanity was not startled out of its sleep. You, you need to get this. How do we know? He, how do we know? Jesus had to be the one that sent the storm. He, if he didn't send it, the storm would have startled him. And it would have woken. him. It didn't wake him. He was sound asleep. Who sent the storm? Jesus. Jesus. The divinity had such control and peace over the humanity, he slept soundly in the midst of the storm. There's a message there for you and me. Did you know that? There's a message there for us today. Because some of you are either in the middle of a storm, you're coming out of a storm, or you're heading back in. That's the three phases of life. How do we know that God had to send the storm? He's sound asleep. Sovereignty is never startled or surprised. Did you know that? It's never startled, never surprised. So here it is, Psalm 107, 25. Here's the key. God spoke, stirring up a tempest, That lifted high the waves. God sent the storm. We need to be clear on that. So here's the close. What is the reason for our storms? We have to ask the question, why do we have storms? Jesus answers it for us in verse 25. Where is your faith? Faith is strengthened in the furnace of affliction. So here's the story of our lives. You ready? Jesus sent our storm. Jesus is in our storm. Jesus is taking us through our storm. Whether you perish in the storm or not, you're going to the other side. So you have all that. You understand that? Let me give you the final passage. 2 Corinthians 4, 17, 18. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Paul says light and momentary. And you know the stuff he went through. He said they're nothing to be compared to what's coming. Light and momentary afflictions are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So what does he say? Fix our eyes, not on what is seen. Get your eyes off the storm. But on what is unseen. Get your eyes on the Savior. Since what is seen is temporary, the storms will cease. But what is unseen is eternal. The Savior will never go away. Oh, one final point for our invitation. He not only sent your storm. He's not only in your storm. He's not only promised to get you to the other side of your storm. He took your storm. He took your storm, the real storm, when he hung on that cross and he cried out to his Father, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? There's a storm that you will never experience in this life or the next. You will never cry out to God. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because God forsook his son. He took the storm. He drank the cup of God's wrath. He hung on that cross and he died in your place. That storm has passed. Never again will God judge you who are in Christ. He judged his son on your behalf. So Jesus now with outstretched arms and nail-scarred hands, says these words to you. Come. Come to me. I have taken your storm. I have paid the price for your sin. Come, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is the time of invitation. Come, just as you are. By way of the internet, you've never surrendered control to Christ. Surrender right now to Jesus. Trust him. Transfer your trust from yourself to your Savior. If you're not in a storm right now, it's coming. I see it. It's coming. It has to come. It's been promised. But Jesus said, I sent it, and I'm in it, and I'm going to get you through it. Trust him. Cry out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And salvation is yours this day. Pray these words with me if you've never prayed before. Bow your heads in your hearts. Father. For those who have never surrendered control to Christ, this is the moment of salvation. This is the time of invitation. Say this prayer with me. Just repeat in your own heart right now, whether in this sanctuary or out on the internet, pray right now with me. Oh God, I have heard the truths of the gospel. I know that you are the savior of the storm and in the storm. And I cry out to you right now, I cannot save myself. God be merciful to me. The sinner. Give me the gift of repentance and faith. I trust in you alone. And I know from this moment forward that salvation is mine. And Father, for every saint who's hearing my voice right now, every saint of God, strengthen all of us for the storms that we are currently in and the storms that we know are coming. Help us to fix our eyes on you. Get it off of the circumstance and on our Christ. Because when we do, we have an anchor of hope that has assured us that he who began a good work will one day bring it to completion. And for this we are eternally grateful. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.